Hey, it's Cody. And Matt. And thanks for joining us for another episode of The The Coma Coma Cast. Cast. Matt, we're going to be diving into all things involving the LGBT community, including our own lives. And don't forget our cats. We don't want to forget them. The Coma Cast starts now. Podcasting from the Lone Star State in Southern California, you're listening to The Coma Podcast with Cody and Matt. Hey, everyone, and welcome. It is March 18th, 2021. And today we are going to talk about vaccine hesitancy, specifically uh, people of color who are unwilling to take the vaccine. There's a lot of reasons uh, behind why they don't want to do so. And we're going to kind of explore some of that. That's our main topic today. But first, Matt, how are you doing? It is Thursday. We've almost made it through the work week. I'm good. I spent today exploring the mission some more. Per doctor's orders, I'm supposed to exercise at pretty basically every day. Um, so since we can't really get to the gym consistently, we've been trying to get out every afternoon that we can for an hour or two where we hike and walk the trails. Kind of do like a walk with a purpose. So it's like, yeah, I, I could run four miles, but maybe just walking it. You know, I'm still doing four miles you know, or however, however long it takes. And it's a really pretty walk. So. It's nice. That's good. I'm doing good. I was going to say, it's nice that, you know, first of all, you're getting exercise, but getting to explore, see things, which is kind of helps that helps to prevent things from becoming mundane, I guess. And you learn some stuff, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) It's a hit. So the missions here are, they're considered a historical national park. So I really enjoy it, but it's also nice to get outside. I've been outside more in the last two weeks than I probably have in the last four years, other than, you know, going running errands or mowing the yard or something. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So today I just, um, see, I got up a little bit late today, I guess. (laughs) I I texted Matt. I was like, uh, he had texted me last night and I just responded late. And I was like, I just woke up. Uh, I was telling him because I had stayed up late Tuesday night, posting podcasts and video and stuff. And then I got up super early, like at 6, 7 a.m. my time, which anybody who knows me is super early. So I only had like a handful of hours of sleep. And then same thing, stayed up late last night. So got some sleep, then got up, did some cleaning around the house. Um, and then this afternoon, this evening, uh, did some yard work. Uh, it's been kind of, it has been raining and cold. So today was kind of nice. So just got outside and it's still kind of getting everything ready. Spring season's coming. Things are starting to grow. Flowers are starting to bloom. Um, so just kind of cleaning up stuff because during the winter, it gets kind of like messy because you have leaves that had fallen. And so just kind of revitalizing things. And then, um, tonight we had more cheese and wine. Basically we had, (laughs) we were finishing off the bread that we had bought and then we had cut some cheese already that uh, needed to be eaten. And so uh, we finished that off tonight. So it was kind of a nice, nice, fun evening. Nothing too crazy. But um, yeah, I, the walk. So I get really overexerted or I get really overworked after minutes of um any exercise because one of the side effects of the ADHD meds is a higher blood pressure. It was supposed to wear off after 45 days or so. It has not because when you Mm. start, you're supposed to start exercising that helps you balance out. And it didn't because I really wasn't able to exercise it because 
I started on Thanksgiving when yeah. one avoiding crowds and two, the gyms are just the gym is packed and I can't really run in my neighborhood. We have a bit of a stray dog problem and mm, I've had the crap scared. <laughs> That's not fun. Nope. Not doing it. Not worth <laughs> it. Not happening. I'll wait. So now I've been able to really start consistently exercising, but so my blood pressure is down and I'm on a medication to help with that. But my heart rate is still that one. I don't really know why it's doing it. I'm like, my heart's just working harder than it's supposed to be. So I get really, mm. uh, sweaty and I don't, I'm not, I've never been a sweater ever yeah. really. And we're walking the other day when I got home and took my shirt off, it literally felt like I climbed out of a swimming pool. About half oh my, my goodness. Shirt, my half my shirt was so wet. It was literally, it was just wearing like a white, you know, shirt you'd buy from Target, like a, like a Hanes style shirt. Yeah. That's what I went walking in and half, like the whole right half of it, bottom of it, and my back was, it was just when I was holding it up, it just hung down. Like I just dipped it in water and pulled it out. So I, I didn't even, I needed to do laundry anyway, but I threw it over my bedroom door and turned my fan on to try to yeah. air it. It took hours. I was like, oh, <laughs> so I'm not used to sweating that hard, but yeah. like I was at the gym last night and I, it takes me forever between sets, between reps. And, um, I finished what I was doing and leaned over to get a drink of water and I couldn't catch my breath. I'm like, Oh, come on. Like, uh, <laughs> this is really frustrating. So I actually discussed with the doctor completely removing all my meds um, and trying a completely different ADHD med because mm. I can deal it's managing my ADHD perfectly. Just and most of the, of the other effects. sides are gone. So at least yeah. to the point where I can manage it that, you know, the benefits and outweigh, mm -hmm. But, but it doesn't want to calm down and yeah, uh, it's not something that you is, want. Right. It doesn't feel good because I was getting like the fluttery heart, which is why he put me on the blood pressure meds. Mm -hmm. um, but that's down and that's good, which is good. My blood pressure is a very healthy back to what it was before. You know, uh, my blood pressure is usually was pretty good up until the only time I've ever really had blood pressure problems was the year leading up to my divorce. About seven no. or eight years ago. And you know what? I don't think, <laughs> I think even the most amicable of divorces, your blood pressure is just up. When right. I went to the doctor that year for like my biometrics, they're like, um, we're noticing an upward trend with you. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And then the next year, it was back down to normal. I'm like, yeah, Total, I, uh, a, a good reason yeah. for that. series. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's well, but uh, it's been a good week. It's been really pretty here. I mean, that's just, good absolutely beautiful today it was 70 something and yeah enjoy know, clear skies enjoy those temperatures you know in texas there i remember they don't yeah. last long this heat comes it's gonna be oh you know a nice cool 103 <laughs> yeah <laughs> so if we're not out the hope we're likely going to have because we've been able to go walking at two in the afternoon yeah the whole time you i lived not in florida doing that then. i was not outside at two in the afternoon unless <laughs> i was unfortunately stuck outside doing something I'd um, say you could do it in the early mornings or late at nights, but in Texas, sometimes it's like midnight and it's still better. 90 degrees. So, yeah. yeah. So, well, and I don't have a choice. I have to do something. So yeah. I'm like, well, okay. So we've talked about even just getting me like a bike because mm -hmm. I do, I like, I do like the bikes, but yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> well, uh, let's take a look at some headlines. 
So an update on Tuesday, Matt, uh, we're going to give an update here on the Asian American shooting that happened in uh, Atlanta. We talked about this on a previous episode of the podcast. Um, and so an update now is six of the eight victims killed were women of Asian descent. Uh, now, the police say the suspect had previously been a customer of at least two of the businesses where the eight people were killed. Um, the captain who said the spa shooting suspect had ready a bad day is no longer the spokesperson on uh, the case uh he was giving a presser for this and he was like he was pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope yesterday was a really bad day for him and this is what he did pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope and um and yesterday was a really bad day for him and this is what he did okay first of all he's a terrorist that's just no one he's not having a bad day he committed a hate crime yeah, exactly. It is a hate crime. Also, uh, Internet sleuths and journalists found uh, County Sheriff Officer Baker's Facebook post where he was promoting a shirt that called the novel coronavirus, quote, an imported virus from China with China spelled C-H-Y dash N-A. Uh, so first of all, Clearly, he felt something towards this suspect because he obviously was promoting this kind of uh, outlandish ridiculousness against the Asian American community uh, with posts like that. This one, though, Christopher Ray, the FBI director, said that, quote, while the motive remains still under investigation at the moment, it does not appear that the motive was racially motivated. But I would really defer to the state and local investigation for that for on that for now, um, which is ridiculous. Uh, it, it's what we talked about at the end of the last episode. Maybe it might not been in his head straight up that these were Asian Americans. I'm going to go kill them because it seems that some thought is there was, he had like a sex addiction. And so he may have had something against these women because there is this whole like perpetrated idea of these massage parlors being sex parlors, um, and so maybe in his head for some reason, but in the episode last on Tuesday that we're talking about, we talked about how that you can still have racial tendencies in your head that are underlying that would make you do certain things, say certain things. So and I think for the FBI, considered racist. Yeah. So I think for the FBI that director, is, fetishizing not, is still not appropriate. And yeah. So like, he, I don't think he just, should have said it's not racially motivated. Yeah, it absolutely was. Like, like it, it, it can be racially, racially motivated. Yeah, it can be racially motivated and other reasons. It's it's not one either or. Also, if you're deferring to local authorities and the investigation is ongoing, wh- what? Why? Like, also, the house held its first hearing on Asian, or sorry, on anti-Asian discrimination. It's the first time they've done that in thirty years. Uh, this is obviously a situation, an issue that's been go- ongoing for a while now. It, the coronavirus whole situation has just brought it to light even more. It's something that's always been happening um, in America and around the world. Um, then, Matt, a company has gotten slammed for posting a yellow square on its social media after the Atlanta shooting. Uh, this is a yeah. rising a media company that promotes the work of Asian hip hop musicians drew instant flack on social media Tuesday after they posted a yellow square and a misguided attempt to show solidarity with the Asian American community. Part of this like social activism, it's kind of brought on by the fact that earlier uh, in 2020, the summer when people were posting black squares 
um, in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, it wasn't really a good <laughs> idea then. Like, I mean, first of all, uh, you're promote, uh, like, to do a yellow square, you're promoting the whole idea where we like yellow people, black people. It's that's one of the reasons the Dr. Seuss book, his estate has decided to move one of the books because some of the characters were drawn yellow. So it's just like you're a company that promotes hip hop or Asian hip hop artists at that. Like, what was the thinking? You know, they, I, I, they yeah. it was positive that they were trying to do something. It was just like they didn't connect all the dots before actually doing it. No, no. They probably just thought like, <laughs> oh, well, we saw BLM do it early in the year. And I'm like, did you miss the part where it was not really well received? Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing with the, the Black Square. A lot of people, a lot of companies or social influencers, that kind of type were posting the black squares and then that's all they were doing. They weren't doing anything else besides that. So it's like, you got to do more than that. There was also the issue of people hashtagging at the time and uh, it was flooding uh, the algorithms <laughs> incorrectly, you know, when people were trying to get information to stay safe on the street. But when I saw that, I was like, wow, like <laughs> gets, gets, get to think things through before posting things. But Right. We're, we're quick to post these days. Uh, Matt sent me this one. Uh, a man with a gun, a large capacity ammunition device was arrested near the vice president Kamala Harris's home. Uh, it was a Texas man wanted by the police, was stopped by the Secret Service and arrested Wednesday afternoon uh, near the residence of Kamala Harris. Uh, they found a rifle and ammunition in the man's car, which was parked uh, a distance away in a garage in Park. downtown Washington. Uh, Paul Murray, 31, of San Antonio, was stopped uh, just after noon um, outside of the Naval Observatory, which is uh, Vice President Kamala Harris's residence. She is not staying there at the time. Um, oh, and there was, uh, do, right before we jump into that, there was a little bit of an update on, uh, I believe his name is Robert Aaron Long, the shooter in Atlanta. They're already trying to cast him as, oh, what a church-going boy he was. It's like, he's not a kid. He's 21. He's an adult, you know? And so I believe this gentleman, um, the Texas guy caught in D.C., uh, he had texted his mother that he was going to take to D.C. to take care of his problem, which was, in this case, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. And he was apprehended and yeah, so things aren't going to look good for him, but I believe they were looking for him. I believe he was at the insurrection, mm. is what I read, was that he was right. So, not surprising. No, not surprising <laughs> at all. Um, it does yeah. make me so concerned. Uh, you know, I, I think any anybody who's a politician, uh, especially right now, Democrats in charge, because you uh, have the, these conservative groups uh, that are essentially uh, terrorist groups. Um, even the FBI, CIA and stuff have come out and talked about how uh, white supremacy in these groups are one of the biggest threats to the United States at this time. So it foreign terrorists, not as big of a threat as homegrown terrorism. Uh, we had a big issue with homegrown terrorism, I think obviously, during much Oklahoma more City bombing. Yeah. With, their, with homegrown because... When you have homegrown terrorists, there's this sense of ownership they feel. It's one thing to be on the outside. Like when you're mad at your sibling, like, you know, whatever the thing they did, and you're like, you know what? I'm coming for your ass. But 
when you feel you're defending your own thing against, say, your sibling, for example, you're so much more angry than they committed that you're retaliating against. So putting yeah. that on a national scale, does that feel they are? Yeah, sure. Some of them are like, oh, yeah, I know it's racist and I don't care. But many of them do not feel they're racist. They feel they are genuinely superior. Uh, I will have to find the interview, but a um, a black woman did a new segment on a uh, white supremacy group. And I, they interviewed, yeah. I believe it was a married couple on their land. And they had told her she was there with a news crew. She wasn't by herself that um, they felt that they were the superior race. And she was, well, how do you plan to get rid of, you know, black people? And this is a black woman speaking. And they said, burn them out. And she's like, and you do not feel that's racist or hateful. She's like, N-. and they were like, no, we're not a hate group. I mean, they genuinely believe this. And they indicated yeah. to her, she was the first woman, first person that wasn't a white person to stand on their land. in like the 20 years that they'd been there at least 20 years. And mm-hmm. this exists right here. And I know in mainstream, I'm sure it kind of goes back and forth. And especially if you see things like, you know, New York or, you know, where you live and where I live, it's really hard to probably see that, you know, when you listen to music and hear what's on the radio, but anybody that's grown up in a smaller town or if you're a minority or friends with any minority group, really, you know where not to go. You know somebody who knows somebody if you don't already know yourself. Yeah. And these places that you don't go because these people will attack or you're just not safe. And yeah. so, you know, these homegrown terrorists are absolutely terrifying. And of course, it was downplayed the last four years. And uh, Exactly. I mean, it's something that, uh, again, was it was brought up to light really during the Oklahoma City bombing. That was a homegrown terrorist uh, attack. Uh, and it was a pretty big one and killed a lot of people. Um, and so it kind of brought it to attention. And so there was a period of time where we were really good about uh, investigating these groups uh, and going through that. But then as time fades away from these incidents that happen, we tend to forget about it. The government itself tends to put it on the back burner. And then, as you were saying, the last four years, it was really put on the back burner because, uh, well, everyone knows why. Um, And so hopefully um, with the Biden administration and uh, the people that they are putting into these positions and different positions and the FBI will continue to look at this, uh, they'll start elevating these things because it's obviously something we need to be looking at, not just for the safety of. Uh, these politicians or the president, the vice president, but for the safety of all Americans, um, because a lot of times, you know, it's it, it's not like they're just going to attack liberals because it, in the Oklahoma City bombing, <laughs> there was be conservatives and liberals there. Also, it was Oklahoma City. So uh, just because it, we look at this as a homegrown terrorist thing and it tends to be these radical right groups, um, it's something that could ultimately affect every group uh if one of these people or groups of people decides to attack in some form or fashion um so definitely a scary situation that you know we need to be paying attention to i guess absolutely yeah this is just another um mass shootings are an unfortunate part of american culture you know you and i were would have been like middle school you're a little bit older than me so i think you would have been early high school i was in seventh grade when columbine happened so those are my where my memories of mass shootings start and watching i got 
home and it was on the news at my great grandparents' house. And I remember watching, um, I was watching live where there was a, I can't remember his name. I watched this thing on it last year, actually, but he was the kid who was on an upper floor of Columbine. He was shot several times and he crawled his way to the window, crawled out the window. When they were trying to get him out of the window, he fell. And the police were repeatedly criticized for their lack of care and like movement mm-hmm. and just kind of standing around. Uh, and I remember watching live this kid fall out of a window, just covered in blood. Cause I remember he was wearing a gray shirt and you, I just saw like the back of him. And he's yeah. just, just all bloody. And I knew what I was looking at. I mean, I could read the, you know, the headlines. And my great grandparents were trying to say something to me. And my grandmother, who was present, was like, he's watching the, you know, he's watching this. He doesn't know yet, you know. And I just literally walked off the bus and walked to my great grandparents' house for my grandmother to pick me up after school. Yeah. But she had met me. I got home late and she got there early. And then, you know, they'd already known about the events of the day. I was just mm. arriving as, the rest of it was unfolding and they were evacuating the kid. Yeah. And it wasn't long after that. I remember our dress code changed. Uh, metal detectors started going in, in places, in schools. And uh, we got talks about uh, depression and watching for, you know, see something, say something started happening. I'm sure that's been around for a long time, but that's when I started hearing about it in school. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and you see where a lot of this evolves, you know, where what especially have you ever tried to reason with a 16 year old? You know, can you imagine, you know, a yeah. child that's had something ingrained into their head for a long time to be a certain way? Um, trying to push back from that, everything you tell them is just evidence of something, you know, that you're wrong. And when you look at it, especially like the shooter in Atlanta, I really don't want to mention his name because I really don't want him to want to give him attention. But his background is extremely religious. And for anybody who is in that religion and, you know, obviously not shooting people, uh, but any sort of sexual contact outside of marriage or thinking about sex or masturbation, watching porn, any of that is considered, you know, extreme and excessive and would be, you know, have the book brought down on them. So they go to extremes to fight that. And, you know, you're repressing your very own natural urges. Yeah. Being our humanity is like trying to, trying to restrain that is like trying to restrain a gallon of water and hands, you know, (laughs) it isn't going to work. It's going to bust out. It's going to get everywhere. It's going to be a big mess. And it's just, most people do not, um, you know, shoot everybody else. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. how luckily that person was caught and uh, was not at her residence. And yes. I think, I don't, I mean, obviously I don't, I don't actually know where they're staying right now, but it's. Uh, yeah, they are uh, staying at the Blair house. Uh, that's across the street oh, from okay. the White House. The Blair house uh, is usually where uh, heads of state or different people stay. Um, when they're visiting Washington and the White House for uh, special events. Uh, and obviously right now there's none of that happening because of coronavirus. Uh, so they're staying there. Uh, the uh, house, the Naval Observatory, where the vice president usually stays, once Mike Pence uh, moved out, uh, it was needing some like rehabilitation and just like remodeling because it's it's an old building. And so they thought this was a great time to go ahead and remodel it and kind of bring it up to new world standards. Right. Um, I'd heard about that, but I wasn't, I wasn't sure. 
So thank you for confirming that because I realized I'm like, I don't actually yeah. know. But, it kind of works know, out. He made thankfully. it across. He made it all. He went all the way to DC and, you know, was luckily stopped. I didn't see, has there been an update to, I know that he called his mother and told her what he was doing. Did she know? Do we know she notified the police? I, I do not know. I do not know. I know in the case uh, of the shootings at Atlanta, the mother did uh, notify the police uh, because she had seen a photo or something or saw that he was in the area. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure. But thankfully, uh, Secret Service uh, were there. Um, obviously, do not mess with the Secret Service as we've seen multiple times um, mm-hmm. when there have been issues that occurred, regardless of who. They've tackled children who, you know, broke through the fence, climbed the fence and tried to run across the lawn. No, I mean, they are not going to take a chance. They are not going to mess around. Now, our live tomorrow, we will have more updates. And what we like to do during the live, since it's more interactive as well, and people can ask questions, we can kind of talk more about it. Um, We're hoping that maybe there will be a bit of a news dump so we can provide better updates and, uh, you know, just some clarification into what's going on because, you know, in the midst of all of this, uh, we still have, um, you know, coronavirus is still happening. People are still being infected by the tens of thousands every day. And, um, you know, a new variant is coming this way. It's inevitable. It's going to get here. And I'm still hearing people don't want the vaccination. I can understand why some. Yeah, because, you know, um, yeah, you know, like, yeah, there's a whole group, uh, a, lar- a large group. I mean, it's multiple groups, but um, uh, people of color seem to be uh, unwilling to take vaccines. Uh, there's some vaccine hesitancy there. Um, and we're going to go ahead and talk about that um, coming up next. And we are back uh, today. Again, we are going to be talking about vaccine hesitancy. Uh, now, our main topic is going to be talking about people of color and the reason why they're hesitant to take the vaccine. There's a lot of history behind that, actually. And so when you see people talking about that they're really hesitant to take the vaccine, um, sometimes there are reasons why, especially if they're people of color. So sometimes you don't want to push them too much um, because there are reasons behind it. Uh, It's good to kind of put some science out there and, you know, kind of just chat with them and talk with them. But there are some legitimate reasons why they are concerned about this uh, vaccine. It's not only that group though uh actually 40 percent of gop surveyed recently and there's multiple surveys and multiple polls going out but matt 40 percent of gop voters surveyed uh say that they are hesitant or resistant to take the vaccine unless it's mandatory that's compared to six percent of democrats who are hesitant to take the vaccine so it is multiple groups but 40 percent is a huge number um for the gop i don't give a fuck <laughs> um and You're actually like, crap, 40... i'm going to edit that out too <laughs> <laughs> no uh 40 of them is more 40 percent of gop is actually more than um people of color who don't want to take it which is just ridiculous and crazy on the gop's part uh, we'll get to that more right. towards the end but there are reasons why uh, black people especially are unwilling to take the vaccine or they're kind of a wait and see on seeing how it's handled and distributed and kind of the effects. Uh, there was 14% of black Americans, 34% of Latin uh, ex-Americans say they have a trust uh, in the safety of the new COVID-19 COVID vaccine. So that is not very high, 14% and 34% for Hispanics. Um, all of this kind of those stems, Matt, from generations of experimentation on 
black Americans, uh, and then a dismissal uh, of medical professionals towards them. Um, that's a whole different thing. It's it lets many of them skeptical about anything concerning the medical field, vaccines, uh, treatments, um, etc. So here in my uh, in my office right now is my pharmacology book from last year where I took the class. And there are different instructions um, handling, talking to different groups saying, you know, some of it's like more practical things like, you know, it's customary to, you know, for this, they would prefer a, you know, so if a woman comes in for this, they would not want me to come into their room, you know, and mm -hmm. per request. And really, a lot of that is not necessarily taken seriously, depending on the situation. But, you know, for, you know, nursing, like, it, you know, you do what you can. Yeah. And then other groups, it was taught for a long time, for example, that black people have a higher pain tolerance. I'm like, no, they were just abused. You know, there's you know, just literally racist medical literature and it's still very present. Now, I when I took medical ethics, medical ethics has been, at least the one I took, have been largely updated, thankfully, from the first class I took, um, where there's an acknowledgement of this hugely racist uh, backstories. But this goes all the way back to the days of uh, slavery, um, where slaves were treated awful most of the time and just because even if they weren't treated awful they were still treated like human cattle yeah and then so experimentation like you said the dismissal by medical professionals is just i've seen it i have witnessed it i mean you can just scroll twitter you can see your own friends who have exp uh, experienced it yeah and it, it's very real you have major experiments like the tuskegee airmen you know where they're so many chances where uh, there was an opportunity to build a bridge of trust and do something good. And it turned out to be a deceptive experiment and yeah. destroyed a lot of people for sterilizations. Ran, yeah. That ran know. 40 years uh, from the thirties to the seventies. And, and that the goal of that was to track the natural progression of syphilis and researchers had uh, initially recruited about, uh, 600 black men, um, 399 with the disease and 201 without it. Uh, and they conducted the study without the informed consent of those participants. Now, according to the Centers for Disease Control, um, researchers justified the study by telling these men they were being treated for, quote, bad blood, which referred to conditions like anemia and fatigue, as well as sy syphilis. Um, and None of the infected men actually were treated for pen, uh, with penicillin. Uh, that became uh, a treatment in the 40s, late 40s. For it, uh, there was other antibiotics that they eventually had that could treat um, these men for syphilis, but they never did any of that. And it, this wasn't that long. Yeah, generally, this was a long time, long ago. And it it is not even an availability thing. The treatment for syphilis is generally one penicillin shot. Now, if you have an advanced case, it's a little more stuff. And I believe it's one a week for three straight weeks. If you are not able to take penicillin, for example, allergy, you would be put on uh, doxycycline for, I believe, 28 to 30 days. And it's a broad spectrum antibiotic. So it tends to hit because it hits everything. So mm -hmm. this was intentional. This was and the, the effects of syphilis have been known since the Middle Ages, you know, of how devastating it is. It's wiped out so many people. Many uh, famous, many famous people, you know, leaders and 
kings and you know old monarchy very common you know in to pass it right down and it's been the subject of many of books if you ever read uh voltaire voltaire's uh book candide um in candide one of the main characters has syphilis and uh it's a subject i mean this goes way back and so why would the black community trust have any i mean mean, it just (laughs) essentially treated like guinea pigs and uh yeah the worst you know and they were treated worse because they were allowed to live with it unknowingly and and if you're not treatments right with no treatment and late stage syphilis uh can cause neurological disorders it can kill you it, it well it's fatal um it can depending if you're a man or a woman it can i mean it could just do some devastating things to your body and yeah. to live for so long with it not be treated and pass it on unknowingly um that's disgusting it's a disgusting yeah. thing to do to people let alone um airmen who are you know they volunteer for something else and we're not mm-hmm. <laughs> they did not mm-hmm. them and yeah. it's terrible so would the black community trust something yeah. like this that's being rushed out you know and we there, understand why it's being rushed out the question isn't that do we need a vaccine it's well why should the black community trust um or yeah. why should any minority or unity trust um you know the government now what i didn't see coming you know, we all joke about like the whole tinfoil hat GOP, like conservative, you know, we all joked. I mm. I mean, some of it, I absolutely believe they believed. But when the whole thing of the government tracking chip started, I was like, you just tweeted that from your iPhone, though. I know. It's like everybody who's like concerned about tracking carries a tracking device in their hands at all times. We literally like, carry come on. a GPS. Like, okay, whatever. Um, Also, like you were talking about, there was the whole sterilization issue. This was kind of like called the eugenics movement. And that's where uh, several, or not several, a lot of African-Americans were sterilized in places throughout the country, uh, as well as there was the birth control pill trials in Puerto Rico um, that were not performed up to standards that we have today in the clinical trials and women died um, because of this. Um, So it's that we see the Tuskegee, Tuskegee experiments, um, especially happening um, with the black community. Uh, you had sterilizations and birth control issues with the Hispanic communities. And so they remember these things and these are handed down. You even have uh, the whole Henrietta Lacks situation um, where she had the Gila cell line and basically her uh, cells were harvested. She had a tumor and it was biopsied and John Hopkins um, hospital uh, kept those cells and they cultured them. And basically these cells continue to reproduce and live on. Um, and they created the cell line known as HeLa, and it's used a lot with medical research. Um, and, and they did that without the consent of her and she didn't know about it. Um, and her family didn't know about it. Neither her or her family gave permission throughout this time for her cells to be harvested. Uh, at the time, permission was not required, though, but it usually is customary. Uh, but because she was a black woman, uh, they chose not to inform her. Obviously, later on in, lo- in time, her family found out and she's kind of 
now known as the person who has provided these HeLa cell lines, which have been really important part of the medical community and research, but she essentially was kind of left out of that whole story. So it is a, a crazy thing um, to think about all this stuff that has happened and it has happened to uh, the people of color uh, communities and that are, these are reasons why, you know, they have hesitancy towards towards those vaccines um, just because it's like, do you trust this? Because the history has shown that is not, you might not usually can trust um, doctors or the medical community. I actually was watching uh, one of my favorite shows, the good doctor uh, and they had a black doctor on there and she's on there all the time, but they had a patient come in who was a black woman who was involved in the marijuana business. She had a marijuana shop and she was having some heart issues and whatever, whatever. Uh, and the black doctor, and ultimately the storyline was she was judging her patient, thinking the patient was smoking pot and it was creating issues uh, with maybe a medical condition that she had. And ultimately, she wanted to, the patient wanted to be removed from this hospital because of the treatment from a black doctor towards a black patient. So, you know, it's one of those things. It's not just white people. Sometimes a lot of times, you know, it can just be something that you're taught and then you, you bring it up throughout your career. There's also misogyny and homophobia that, you know, plays into, you know, having like, if you've ever, if you've ever had the joy of having a doctor say something or act a little homophobic with you and you're like, it's really uncomfortable when you pick up the vibe and you're like, oh yeah, here we go. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and you're caught in this room with them and what they say goes, it can be really hard to contest what your doctor says. And you're not there to argue your sexuality You're are you're there to be helped and move on. Like, that's what they're doing their job. And your job while you're there is to here's what's going on. What tests you want me to do? What instructions do I follow? Let's move on. And when they want to argue something about yourself, and you're like, is this, this is real life. Yeah, you know, this doesn't, this isn't even happened to the black community. And, um, uh, well, and other minority groups in times of crisis or peril or when some deceptive experiments happen, this happens for a doctor's visit, pregnant women dying, pregnant black women dying Mm -hmm. in the hospital in childbirth because they're saying something is wrong and they're being ignored. They're being dismissed. And, and it's like. It's a very worrisome thing that it's a deeper issue that has to be dealt with, you know, as far as training, like you were saying, uh, in these books, teaching books, uh, certain people were taught certain things. And it's just like, some of these things need to be relooked at. It's like the whole issue of like, what kids are taught in school. Uh, and, you know, we need to make these education books and history books show things that happen. Because again, like the Tulsa, uh, issue that we talked about in an earlier podcast, the bombing in Tulsa, um, against, uh, all of the black people, uh, there, you know, is not taught in school. Um, so we need to look at that. Um, as far as the coronavirus, you know, experts are saying that, uh, and they're doing a, as good of a job as they can, I guess, but working directly with some of these community leaders, um, in these communities to let them know that it's safe. And a lot of these community leaders know that, but then they're trying to get out the word to those in the community that it's safe um, and to kind of ease some of those fears. I think one thing we can look at is, you know, these are polls that are done to say, are they hesitant? Are they not hesitant? As we said, uh, for the black communities and the Hispanic communities, um, 
And so we're still starting to get information in of actual vaccinations because between what something someone says in a poll versus what's actually happened can sometimes differ a little bit. Um, and so as far as the Hispanic community, we can kind of maybe look at the Hispanic community sometimes tends to be younger communities. And so a lot of places they may not be have access to the vaccine at this time because of age differences. Um, so hopefully... Hopefully, when it does open up into some of these areas, uh, they will start getting the vaccine. I, I'm hopeful. Um, I think the Biden administration is trying to do the best that they can and sending out people into these communities. Uh, you have many members of caucus um, who are also a part of the black community or Hispanic community that are trying to get get the word out. Um, I think it's just it's a process of working, working with these communities. And I think one thing we need to not just do it for this issue. It needs to be a continuing ongoing situation that we work with these communities, uh, not just with the vaccine issue, but all medical conditions, you know, and try to uh, subside their fears um, and hopefully back that up with actual doctors, you know, actually caring and actually caring about these communities. There's a lot of that would need to be done. And I mean, in pretty words, really mean nothing. I mean, it's going to take generations of actions. And also what I just, this is again, my opinion on this side is that more, we need, we need more balance in who's making these decisions. We need more, not white people, in these positions of power, you know, we need more women of color, we need more black women, more black men, more, you know, every, every group needs to be lifted up, because I think the days of a classroom being 28 white boys and girls, and then two of whatever, of any to anybody else, I think those days are really either done, or winding down as diversity really takes over in our country. And it's important that everybody's represented and it should have always been this way because, you know, even among white people, if men are just freaking crazy, like I was raised around white guys. I see like that ridiculous masculinity shit they have. I watched a guy fight with his mask today. He's wearing like a bandana. He's mm -hmm. trying to keep it up over his nose. I watched him pull it up like no less than five or six times in like a minute. And I'm like, dude, just put the mask on. His wife and kid had a mask on, but My he was, you know, he had the big American flag bandana and he just kept going, going, going with it. I'm like, I'm like, dude, just put the mask on. And you know, he probably thinks he's, he's so tough. You know, I'm like, is this real? Are you really so fragile? But the answer is yes. I grew up with these guys. I, I lived with them. I, I used to, you know, being a white guy that was, that's who I was until I was 18 and came out and realized I was gay. And I was like, Oh God. Okay. I, so, and I realized I could drop all those things. I'm like, this is boring, you know, but it, it's really hard for people to separate themselves out from that because if that's all you learn, uh, you know, you, and well, and also we've seen that death through the pandemic that um, COVID and it, and the deaths among it have disproportionately affected the black community so much more than, you know, wealthy white suburban affluent, affluent neighborhoods. 
Why? Because they have less services available. They are ignored when they go to the doctor. They're given Advil and said, head on home and call us if you can't breathe. <clears throat> and we all know what happens with what you know that you once you hit that point you may not get to the hospital fast enough or there may not be an ambulance available or there may not even if you get to the hospital there may not be somebody to see you to get you on being intubated isn't just putting a mask on you know you have to be <laughs> uh intubated that's <laughs> a little more in depth and people don't really there are several gaps and of course in the middle of all this you have people spouting disinformation just intent one thing everybody makes a mistake it happens you know you're gonna quote the wrong article or read something and or misunderstand you know a lot of medical term terminology has been thrown out at the country from people who don't normally even putting it in layman's terms it's really hard to comprehend to tell somebody you're going to get this tube this can be shoved on your throat it's going to help you breathe and this machine is going to keep you and probably two other people alive if they can share the machine and you know it goes to two or three mm -hmm. people but that isn't something that happens quick nor is it pleasant and anybody who's come out of it was like oof you know but it's yeah. interesting anybody who wasn't a politician you know, their lives were basically changed. And the ones that were politicians were like, well, I don't know what everybody was talking about. I'm thankful yeah. to be alive for the great care of these people. But anyway, this is fate. Yeah, I find exactly. that very, very interesting. So yeah. for every one politician to how many people that nearly died or well, you know, were on a, on a ventilator. Yeah. And so it's not just... Uh, these communities that were affected with the virus. Uh, it's also these communities uh, now that are having a hard time getting the vaccine. So this isn't even about hesitancy. So those groups, the people of color, uh, black communities, Hispanic communities um, who actually do want to get the vaccine are having a hard time getting the vaccine. And there's multiple reasons to that. Uh, one, uh, access to it, medical facilities may be lacking in those communities also, a lot of it is done online. And so to being able to find out where you can get the vaccine, uh, I know just for like us, you know, we use the internet to find the location of the pharmacies that have it, or if they have it and schedule, schedule it also online. And so a lot of these uh, right. lower income communities don't have access to the internet, or don't have ac easy access to even schedule it, even if they were to find it possibly not even in their area. Um, and so that's something that is hopefully going to be worked out. But I do know a lot of these like big super, super center type uh, vaccination sites, uh, some are starting to close and it's starting to be more reliant on pharmacies um, and uh, health clinics and uh, county health clinics um, throughout the, the country. Um, so hopefully... Hopefully, uh, as the Johnson Johnson vaccine starts coming online more and Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine starts being able to hopefully produce a little bit more than they are, uh, it'll make it a little bit easier. But you're still going to have the, the uh, access to, to the vaccine could be an issue for um, some of these communities. And that is, that, is, I, that is a big worry among people who are within trying to get the, the vaccines out. But it's a logistical right, issue that should have been worked on for a while. How are these underserved communities going to be quickly and safely vaccinated? And also making sure not just stick them in the arm and run, but to properly educate each person that's receiving it that, you know, you may feel sick, you may not. And that if um, 
you know, on a chance that they do experience um, some kind of detrimental side effect, what to look for so they know to go to the doctor. And even then, there is a struggle. They're going to go to the hospital and they're going to be like, it's normal and walk away and not recognize that this is the time that it's not normal. Um, but, and I can't even imagine the reason I cannot, I know that I cannot imagine the struggle is because like my own health issues that I've struggled with for years. I literally went to the doctor with most of like the back of my hair missing that you can't tell in my pictures. Cause I only post from the front um, or I wear a hat or shave my head. And the doctor literally saw me on camera, totally nothing in person. Eh, okay. Well, you know, that's normal. It's not normal to miss a square of your head and um and the way it was missing and argue and argue and argued until you know he saw the rash on my face and on a day i didn't treat it this is not the first time i've been to the doctor in seven years that i've been experiencing the more severe parts of these symptoms and that's me i one i'm a coder and biller this is not my first attempt at nursing school and i used to work in a medical call center um and an ask a nurse hotline and a suicide hotline center as well so I know what to look for. I know what words to use. And I'm still ignored, ignored, ignored. And when I called the doctor back, when one said said a test came back normal, the receptionist did not even want to have the doctor call. Like, well, make another appointment. And he said that if you, you know, your, your tests are normal, are you still experiencing symptoms? Well, yes, nothing's changed since you saw me. And again, I am somebody who knows what to say. And I mm -hmm. was pushed, 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 pushed. And she goes, so you want the doctor to call you back? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Oh, call my me God. Back. No, nope. he did not. She called me back and left me a nasty little message saying, um, he said to go to the dermatologist for your rash. The rash I have is a very specific one that only turns up with autoimmune diseases. You know, yeah. <laughs> so here we are. So how now add on to that being somebody maybe you don't know what to say and you're already facing the likelihood of being brushed off by your doctor or any of the medical staff that are being less than welcoming to your white counterparts imagine the absolute frustration walking into that because i mm -hmm. think any rational person can get frustrated but it's your health and you want to be proactive you know yeah it's it's so frustrating and frustrating. it was quite a debate in my pharmacology class reading through these notes because my school that I attended to University of Texas Arlington that I took the class at they're a really diverse group you know and we are in Texas you know and it was reading this you know and sometimes seeing like references to okay these were past things this is mm -hmm. not true you know and it was like no, it's not that black people have a higher pain tolerance. It's they you're ignoring them and they're just like, whatever, just get away from me yeah. or whatever's happening. That's just trying to get away from you because the ignorant professional. So, you know, going into the profession now in my third, I'm, I'm actually glad to be in my mid thirties doing not my mid twenties because I have, I have a better idea of what's happening in the world um, than I did at 23, yeah. 24. And, you know, I, so much better and be receptive of criticism and being told, Hey, you're not listening to me. You know, when I hear mm -hmm. those words now, I stop and listen at 23, I might've gotten at least I might 
always a defensive person with things like that. But even getting a little bit defensive is too much when someone's trying to tell you something about their health that could help them get better. Like my whole job is to help people will be to help people get better. So it's important to listen because, and to advocate to properly advocate for your patient and, you know, and outside of the medical world, we should be doing that. You know, this isn't a, Oh, let me, let me listen to you. And, you know, like, stop, (laughs) stop. Yeah. (laughs) Like read a thread, Google it. Oh my God. Yeah. That's the one thing that we hope to do, uh, as we've said with this podcast is to educate and lighten, bring to light some of these stories. And some of these things are things that people just don't know about. They weren't taught, taught them. And so it's just something you don't know. And so hopefully in this instance, um, as far as if you start hearing about vaccine hesitancy among certain groups, the black community uh, or the Hispanic community, there are legitimate reasons of why they do have hesitancy um, against these uh, vaccines. It's not that they're just being stubborn or uh, ignorant. There are right. legit reasons behind Listen it. And when so someone says, I and understand why some people they're a little nervous of needles or they can't get an appointment or they're not really sure what to do. They don't, they're not comfortable going online, looking for these appointments, trying to find a way in. And, you know, they may not have a ride. They may not be this location with a big crowd of people and have no idea what to do. And they may or may not have anybody to go with. So be cognizant when someone says I haven't gotten it or I'm not, I don't know if I want it, you know, know, and, uh, obviously if you feel safe about it, yeah, if you feel safe about it, um, and if you've had your vaccine or whatnot, um, if somebody needs a ride and you feel comfortable doing that, obviously, uh, that would be a great thing because, you know, again, a lot of these, uh, access to the vaccine are not available in certain areas or like I know in, for us, you know, we may have to be driving 30 miles to get somewhere to get a vaccine. Um, but right. so that or is kind of the history. Help yeah, them. Help they may someone. not know how to find a link for them. If they don't live in your area, <sighs> yeah. we all talk I tell to you, each it's other from across the world. If the, we all, it, we all talk to each other across the country and across the world offer to help proactively help them. I mean, yeah. Dream. But even being like, hey, it's in your area. This is what to look for. Yeah. No grown adult that I have met wants to admit they don't know something. And I will be the first to tell you, I don't fucking know something. I do this to Cody a lot. I'm like, I don't know. Let's look it up. And if I don't think Cody knows, I will tell Cody when he's wrong. You remember the (laughs) nasal spray thing? Here, I literally actually just finished the chapter on nasal spray. And Cody's telling me about what I'm, I'm like, you're actually completely wrong. He's like, no, I'm like, no, you're wrong. You're actually completely ass wrong. I love Cody. And it's, <laughs> I'm right, you're wrong. It's, it's, you're wrong and your information damage to you. You have a medical anxiety. If you have the wrong information and then use it wrong, have the next week of my life when those effects hit is going to be much harder than this week. So it's important <laughs> that sometimes when people are incorrect, to not be a dick about it, but at the same time, like, hey, hey, like, let's look at this is actual tested and actual. Yeah. Not that I haven't enjoyed being in school for 10 years for people to tell me I don't know <laughs> what the hell I'm talking about. Um, and, and the real reason, honestly, the whole um, doctorate of nursing. 
another degree for my family to tell me, Matt, Matt, you don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, Matt, Matt, you do know what you're talking about. Cody, you don't believe that. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I do. Um, so we hope you've enjoyed this episode um, and hopefully learned something uh, about <laughs> right. some of these vaccine hesitancies uh, that are uh, involved in uh, different communities here in the United States. And we'll leave it with that. And we will see you on Friday at five o'clock Pacific for our live show. Until next time, I'm Cody. I'm Matt. See you next time. So, hey, guys, we want to remind everyone um, that you can keep in touch with us on all of our social media channels, um, whether that is uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can do all of that at the Comacast. And we definitely love to interact and hear from all of our listeners. All of this is not possible without you guys. And if you don't mind rating our podcast on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast uh, provider is, just leave a comment. It's greatly appreciated. And thank you for joining us. See you next time.